Welcome to Keep Calm and Cook On. I'm Julia Tertian. This episode is one in a five-part series that is all about baking. I'm talking to cookbook authors, avid home bakers, and more about what draws us to baking, what it feels like when we bake, and the creativity and history that we can tap into when we bake. For more about this podcast, my cookbooks, my virtual cooking classes, and just everything, head to juliatertian.com. And while you're listening, please remember to rate and review Keep Calm and Cook On on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. All of those notes and stars help to grow the community that listens to this show. And it means so much to me and all of my guests each time you do this. Thank you. Thanks so much to King Arthur Baking for partnering with me to make this special series of the podcast possible. I have always used King Arthur flour in both my kitchen and in my recipes because it delivers consistently great baking results and it's widely available. I also love their pre-cut parchment sheets and I recommend them to everyone. King Arthur Baking is a 100% employee-owned company and a founding B Corp, and they're always seeking ways to use the power of baking to make a difference for people and for the planet. Learn more about what they do and shop their flour and other baking products at kingarthurbaking.com. That's kingarthurbaking.com. My guest today is Alicia Kennedy, a writer from New York who is now based in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Alicia's weekly newsletter on food culture, politics, and media, called From the Desk of Alicia Kennedy, has been mentioned by the New York Times, T Magazine, the San Francisco Chronicle, Eater, and has been recommended in New York Magazine, W, Food 52, and Vogue Australia. It has over 16,000 subscribers. According to GQ, this popular newsletter often wades into the thorniest thickets of the conversation. Alicia is currently at work on a book about eating ethically for Beacon Press. I am so excited to include her in this series of conversations about baking, not only because I think she's one of the smartest people thinking and writing about food today, but also because she's a skilled and avid baker. A couple of months ago, she wrote an essay for her newsletter about vegan baking that has really stayed with me and widened my lens on baking. There's a link to this essay in the show notes. It's not very long, and I do think it's worth reading before listening if you have a moment. I asked Alicia if she would join me to talk about this essay and more. I'm thrilled to share this thoughtful conversation, and I really hope you enjoy it. I wanted to start at the beginning with baking. You talk about you were kind of burnt out at your day job, Mm -hmm. being a copy editor for New York Magazine, and baking became this hobby that sort of saved you from the burnout. Would you say that's mm-hmm. accurate? Am I telling oh, you yeah. correctly? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I just want to know a little bit more about that entry point. Like how did you go from burnout to baking? Like, was there a show on TV and you were like, oh my gosh, I have to make what they're making. Or was there a bakery you loved or a cookbook or like, how did it start? I always wanted to bake or More accurately, I liked the idea of being a pastry chef. I, when I was a teenager, I would watch Food Network and they would have shows where they would do those huge elaborate sugar sculptures and that kind of thing. And I was like, that's really cool. And I, I thought about culinary school. I looked, I looked, you know, on the internet, I looked at the Culinary Institute of America and I was like, do, is this what I would like to do? But I, I thought I should get a traditional 
college education instead. Uh, and so that's what I did. I went to Fordham. I studied English. And then eventually I was working in media at a, at a magazine after getting fired from my first job. Uh, and so I, um, yeah, I, I was in this job. I was really unhappy. I was working so much more than 50 hours a week often. And I, my, my then boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend was said, you know, you liked going to yoga. That made you happy. Maybe you should go to yoga again. And so I was going to yoga classes a lot and I got really, really, really into my practice in yoga and getting into that practice kind of, I think, excavated some more repressed desires, I guess, mm. from my adult, mm-hmm. like the things I, I thought my life would be and the things I thought I would do with my life were so much more tactile and creative than what mm. my job was. And so uh, I, I found my way back to that by going to yoga, which maybe other people would find in, in therapy or something. But for me, I, I really do feel, I, I really learn things and process things uh, physically. So I have to be doing things. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, I started baking, I was doing traditional baking, but I had this, this inkling that I needed to be vegan which was also another adolescent thing from my, my past. And so I eventually went vegan. I was trying vegan recipes that were written in cookbooks. I hated them. Uh, Mm. You know, canola oil really for me dries out a cake. I I didn't like the flavor of earth balance, which was the butter that everyone was recommending at the time. Cause this was the early 2010s and there was no Miyoko's cultured vegan butter on the market. (laughs) And so I, I started to make my own semi butter, like basically just a baking fat that would work like butter um, without any added ingredients that I didn't understand. And, and it it really worked well. I I blend up 80% coconut oil with 20% coconut milk, blend it up, emulsify the milk into the oil and then put it in the fridge or the freezer and it it comes out solid. And, and that was working for me to make cookies and buttercreams and everything. And, and I started using refined coconut oil in my cakes um, in order to make them a bit more, you know, fatty basically because uh, mm. it tasted better. And so it worked out well in that people started to ask me to bake for their birthdays or for their events. And then I, all of a sudden I, I had a client at a natural grocery store in Massapequa, if anyone knows Long Island. And so <laughs> I, I was, you know, and then I was at farmer's markets. I got into a commissary kitchen with the Stony Brook university, mm-hmm. like small business incubator program. Like I was doing really, really well with it. Um, and it definitely changed my life, but I was still working full time as a copy editor because, you know, when you're getting a food business off the ground, especially like a vegan baking business where everything is extremely perishable, um, you know, I wasn't making any money off of it. I was making, mm-hmm. So I don't know if I was even breaking even um, at the time when I, I kind of quit the business, but when I did end it in 2013, um, the, the ex-boyfriend and I broke up, I moved to the city to Brooklyn and I just had a, you know, but I, I had all these things that I learned. So I think when, when I wrote that essay about how it changed my life baking, it was that it, it really made me learn my own power and my own Mm -hmm. abilities and like that I could really make things, not just make things like 
cupcakes, but I could, I could make things happen for myself, you know, that I had agency in my life sure. and I didn't just have to kind of go with the flow of whatever the hell was happening and, and, you know, take a job with whoever wanted me and, and, you know, have no real sense of, you know, control in my own life. And, and so that's what I think baking gave me. And, and so it, it was not a long road to it. It was just that I, I was at a place in my life where it was either keep going along with this path that is making me unhappy, um, but that is stable or uh, shake things up and, and figure out a way to live that felt more true to myself. That's powerful. I'm I'm sure (laughs) so many people can relate to that. Yeah even if it's not going from, you know, copy editing to vegan baking, right, <laughs> like <right>. those specifics <laughs> aren't even that important, right? It's just mm-hmm. about that feeling of agency. Yeah. Okay. To back up just a little bit Sure. to the, you're in yoga class, yes. <laughs> you're in many yoga, class. you're in your yoga practice, you're on a yoga mat, I presume. And you're saying this is when you were like getting in touch with these sort of earlier maybe like teenage or childhood things about baking and veganism. So Mm -hmm. are these, was it just your body is occupied with doing yoga? So your mind is more exactly about things. Okay. Yeah. I am just, I'm very curious about these moments in our lives, these like pivots and decisions. And I just am very, you know, I write recipes. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, so how does it happen? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like how, how do you come to that decision? And that makes sense for me, especially your love of baking and what it offers to you. I I mean, I really relate with the idea of like, what, what can you do with your hands? (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. this tactile thing. And I do my best, you know, thinking when I'm taking like a long walk, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you know, if my body is distracted by something that I don't need to think about doing. Yeah, but it's you know it's moving like that really helps me. So that's helpful to hear. Um, thank you for yeah. expanding on that. <laughs> okay, one part of your essay that I really love is you talk about that going from just baking traditional baking with things like you know butter and eggs and all that to vegan baking. Mm-hmm. You said I thought there must be a better way, a more expansive and adaptable way. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. I mean, you touch on it so much in the writing, mm-hmm. and you talk about the kind of sustainability of vegan baking. But right. maybe you could talk about like a few different ways you define sustainability. I just I thought this part was really strong. I mean, the whole thing was strong. I love oh, that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I said that a million times. Okay. Thank you. No, I. For me, obviously, the baseline of sustainability when you're talking about vegan baking is that you're not using industrial produced animal products, which mm-hmm. so so much of you know baking in a bakery because of the margins, you are going to be using maybe industrial produced eggs and butter that maybe in your daily life you wouldn't use, but because of the need to make money, you, you are using them. And mm-hmm. so I'm not going to say that the sourcing of coconut oil is necessarily, you know, even if I'm using fair trade or an organic, which I always have been, I'm not going to say, I know exactly what's happening, um, mm-hmm. at that, at that origin spot. And, and so I'm, I'm, but I'm starting from a place of, I'm going, I refuse to support industrial animal agriculture. Like, and that, that for me is the power of 
vegan or vegetarianism is is in a point of refusal to support an industry that is like <laughs> irredeemably bad and corrupt. And so yeah. Um when I but the other parts of vegan baking that make it such a sustainable thing to my mind is that when you have such a wide variety of items that you're using to replace things, whether they're fat, whether they're eggs and the eggs are doing whatever they're doing. We know they do many things. Um, <laughs> you, you can use so much like you could, and, and you can use so much waste as well. Like I know people make banana bread from their brown bananas, but when you have a vegan mindset, you see those bananas that are brown as replacing the eggs too. Like, and, mm. and what I think I said this in the piece is, or I've said this in other essays that I've written on this topic, but the, that when you have a vegan mindset around baking, like you can buy maybe the pricier eggs from the farmer's market and use them in a way where you're really tasting the eggs and, and use them in a way that, you know, is, is more, um, yeah, it's just more, you know, eggy mm -hmm. <laughs> no, instead totally. of hiding them in something. And so for me, like, and, and the same is true of pumpkin, the same is true of, you know, uh, really shelf stable egg replacements like arrowroot or cornstarch or agar powder. So like you can have this whole, you know, um, array of options for, for what, what you, the toolbox for what you mm -hmm. want to do. And it doesn't just rely on you having eggs in the fridge and, and maybe feeling like you don't want to use your good eggs for something, you know? And so, mm -hmm. um, I don't, but the, yeah, the idea of sustainability as something malleable and diverse. And I, I think that mm. the, the thing I always talk about in terms of sustainability is biodiversity, which is a different thing. It, and, you know, we talk about biodiversity in terms of agriculture and agroecology, and, you know, we have to grow all these things, different things together because they all help each other and they all give different nutrients to the soil. But at the same time, there's diversity you can cultivate in your pantry that will make you less reliant on, on certain things that are more intensive um, mm -hmm. to produce and, and yeah. maybe more expensive. And so, I'm, I'm always kind of trying to drive home that vegan baking isn't just about making something without butter or eggs, or it's not just about making something your friend can eat, whether it's because of an allergy or because they're vegan. Like it's about a, a mindset where you're not so beholden to these specific items in order to bake something. And I think that baking is such a simple thing. It's also something most people don't do a lot, mm -hmm. but I think that when you when you have a, a different perspective on this specific thing and you see that things can work and taste really good, even if you do things a little bit differently, that it opens you up to seeing that you can do things a little bit differently otherwise too. Like I always say that like, you know, personal steps that we take um, to combat climate change aren't useless because they make us see that we have a role to play and we have you know, agency that we, we can wake up every day and make a decision and that decision will beget other decisions and, mm -hmm. and it'll, and it'll change how we interact with other people. And I think that something as simple as saying, you know what, I'm going to do a banana cake without any eggs and <laughs> is, is a way of, you know, making choices toward a world where, you know, we do cultivate more 
sustainable diversity and, and we're not always like, ah, I need this and this and this specifically mm-hmm. to do everything. And it's like, I, I just think it's about flexibility as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of people, you mentioned a lot of people don't bake a lot. And right. I know just from conversations with, you know, fellow home cooks, even just calling them home cooks, not home bakers. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when I speak to people who maybe cook out of my cookbooks or other cookbooks, and we're just talking about that kind of stuff, you know, people are very intimidated by baking. And I think mm-hmm. there's this idea that there's a right way of doing something. There's not as much room for intuition or flexibility. There's chemistry. <laughs> um, there are rules. And yeah. I think what you're pointing to is like understanding how it all works. And then also knowing that there aren't really rules. Like right. there's, there's flexibility and, you know, not to make this about me <laughs> and not to like make everything like a gay thing. <laughs> there's something here that's like very queer, like, you know, society is this binary thing and mm-hmm. this is how things happen. And I can't speak for anyone else, but for me, I know identifying as, you know, a gay person as someone who's part of the queer community. It's like, yeah, I get how that all works and why it's worked in this way for a while. And also it doesn't have to be that way. Right, <laughs> like right. we can do things differently. So yeah, maybe vegan baking is just queer baking. I don't know. I'll let you think <laughs> about that. <laughs> well, I my friend, Le- my uh, friend, Leah Kurtz, I don't, do you know Leah Kurtz? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. She's written a lot about queerness and veganism. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, there are definite connections there, totally. it, you know, and, and I, I want to read more of her on that too, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I like thinking about this and, um, I'll definitely, I should have said this to you before, but like the essay that I keep referring to, you know, the piece you wrote about starting your kind of I don't know what to call it, inadvertent bakery. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I will link to all this and share of course, it. And yeah, I'll yeah, definitely yeah. link to Leah's work too, because it is really great. And I appreciate you bringing it up. Um, one thing I, I, again, really loved about the essay and what you're pointing to and what you're just saying is with this flexibility and creativity, I love that you describe vegan baking as not something just done for, you know, just purely virtuous reasons. (laughs) Like there's also so much pleasure Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, that sort of pleasure of not only it tastes really good, but also the pleasure of feeling that creativity. And I'm wondering if you could talk even just a little bit more about that. Like, it's not about replacing just the egg. It's also about getting more flavor from something else. Right, right, right. I think when we talk about things like, you know, a climate crisis, when we talk about things, you know, like veganism, like all of these different topics, like they tend to be pretty serious conversations as right. they ought to be like you know, <laughs> it's pretty important, but there is also just so much pleasure available. And I've just really enjoyed anything I've read that you've written that kind of touches on this. So yeah, you know, no, I, any other I, thoughts? I I'm trying to write a lot more about this lately. And, and it, and it's definitely because I'm deeper in my book, which I need to be because I have to hand it in in January. But, um, (laughs) I, um, you know, I'm, especially because I'm seeing a lot of the restaurant critic responses to 11 Madison park and Mm -hmm. in now that it's vegan or plant-based as they call it. And so now that all of these restaurant critics who are, who have built up 
this idea of fine dining at which Daniel Hum and 11 Madison Park were the pinnacle. Now it's vegan and it's like, uh, <laughs> they don't really know how to respond to it. And so mm-hmm. for me, it's really, really fascinating, you know, the little comments that they make, like, you know, Pete Wells mentioning that uh, people who don't eat meat for moral or Uh, religious reasons would be happy, even though for him, the food wasn't good. And to me, that's very telling of what he thinks of vegans and vegetarians, Mm. which is that in a pure, quote unquote, pure moral or ethical or spiritual decision, there is no room for pleasure Mm. that vegans and vegetarians have no you know, they're so hung up on, on the ethics of the decision that they don't care what anything tastes like. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Like there would be no vegan bakeries. There would be no vegan chocolatiers. If, uh, that was the case, there would be no cookbooks, you know, (laughs) it would just be like, eat a carrot and be happy. Um, and, and it also ignores, you know, how much vegan and vegetarian food is part of, a diet globally, you know, mm-hmm. if you look outside Absolutely. of, of the West, you know, meat is not a central part of people's diets, both by necessity and, and for cultural reasons. And so th- the idea that y- you take by going vegetarian or vegan, or you're taking away joy, or you're making a very serious decision is, is, is difficult for me to square with because it doesn't square with my understanding. You know, when I was a teenager and wanted to be vegetarian or vegan, I couldn't do it because I did like food a lot and I couldn't see a way of enjoying food anymore mm. because the re what was being told to me and the only, what I had access to, cause it was like, it was the nineties and the early two thousands, um, was the idea that I would just have to eat tofu every single meal. And so And the only tofu I ever ate regularly was in my miso soup and at Mm -hmm. the Japanese restaurant. And I loved the miso soup, but I was like, I don't want to eat only this all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that that's what I would have to do. But then like, you know, 10 years later in 2011, 2012, um, I started to understand that you could have the same relationship to food as a vegan or vegetarian as I did have as an omnivore with without always just replacing one-to-one meat, cheese, et cetera, et cetera. Like you could find a lot of diversity and flavor and and robustness in, in grains and in legumes and in vegetables. And that was what really made the shift for me possible was that I could see that there was joy and care and deliciousness to be had even without the standard American diet. And So it's always interesting to me to see people still trying to square with that because I'm like, oh, I learned this 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, 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 And definitely through baking, I learned how important it is, the joy and also the nostalgia that comes with eating like a really good chocolate chip cookie. And that when when you give someone, even if they're an omnivore, a really good vegan chocolate chip cookie, it changes their mind about what's possible in terms of their food, it changes their mind about what is necessary to have that joy mm-hmm. and that nostalgic craving satisfied in their life. It, it really does make changes for people. Um, and, and at the same time, if someone was vegan for 25 years and, and they ate my chocolate chip cookie and they were like, I finally had a good one, then like, <laughs> you know, that was like the biggest, um, 
you know, that was the biggest compliment anyone could give me. Um, and yeah, it, it was, it was really, it's really important, I think, to never lose sight of the joy in, yeah. in food. And it also, I think to get away from that misconception about vegans and vegetarians, that it's, it's, it's a ascetic, you know, monkish mm. type of decision to, to be, to make this choice. It's, you know, no, it's, it's also about joy. Um, like as well. yeah. exactly. Yeah. And abundance. Yeah. It's so like, just, I don't know the right word weird. <laughs> it's so <laughs> weird to me that the idea of, you know, if you're someone who eats animal products, if you are an omnivore, if you eat meat and dairy and all these things, like, therefore you're fun. Yeah, <laughs> like, And weird. if you don't, you're not fun. <laughs> like, that's weird. I also just always laugh at the, you know, the initials for the standard American diet are just sad. <laughs> like, it just gives me a giggle and something to think about. But no, I really love this this turn to veganism, plant-based, whatever, all these terms I know are complicated and loaded, but I think if you just pause and you question this idea of like, oh, this thing is supposed to have these things in it, or this thing is supposed to be this way. And you just offer yourself this moment to pause and just ask like, who's telling me that (laughs) and why, and could it be something else? like that just invites so much more into your life, not less. I feel like the idea that, you know, turning, you know, saying no to like mass produced animal products is including less in your life is just something to question. Right. Right. And that's something I I hope more people will question. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, You equate your, your baking with, with mindfulness, like we're just talking about also with a lot of happiness and joy, Mm -hmm. like we're talking about in freedom. And I want to talk or not, I want to talk. I would like to hear you talk. (laughs) (laughs) That was a Freudian slip. Um, I would love to hear you just share all these things, mindfulness, happiness, joy. When you are in your kitchen baking, you know, you're measuring out your, your amazing coconut butter, (laughs) you're mixing things together. You're turning on your oven, you know, all those things you're doing, like, what are you feeling? What does your body feel like? Like going back to the kind of yoga moment, like what's happening there. When I'm in the kitchen, I experience the same sort of feeling that I, I had in my yoga practice where my mind gets to do one thing while my body does another thing. And Mm. I really enjoy that. And that's what I find in the kitchen. I have lately been making these Sunday afternoon kind of snack spreads for friends. And I really love the muscle memory I feel in the kitchen and not just muscle memory, but also just, I don't even have to think really about you know, I need to get this in the oven first. I need to like, my body just knows what it's doing. It, it, you know, I've, I've decided on a menu and then my body just kind of goes and does it. And Mm -hmm. then I get to think about other things, (laughs) which we were talking about before where, and I think that this is really important. And I've, I was saying it to someone else recently, which is that I have like, uh, writing weeks and cooking weeks. Mm -hmm. There are like, there are times where I need 
to spend in the kitchen in order to be able to write, which again mm-hmm. is kind of like the point of the Hatha yoga, like physical practice is so that you can sit and meditate. And so um, I, I feel like it, it's a similar relationship for me from that, that old practice I had where it's, it's the writing it, it needs the cooking, you know? And yeah, so, and I so really I've, get that. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I need the activity and, and the, the day of like just endless cooking seemingly. And I, I also crave the exhaustion of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to feel like I've, you know, done a lot. Like I like to sit down and feel like, you know, I've earned this. And I know that that can be a dangerous, that can be a dangerous road to go down. But at the same time, like I do crave that feeling. Like I miss that feeling from when I worked at a wine bar in the East village before I moved to San Juan. And when I, at the end of the night would go outside and sit on the stoop of the bar and just feeling like the complete release in my back. Mm -hmm. And I just loved that moment, you know, and, and I'm just feeling like, okay, I've, I've done everything I could, I've given everything I could. Yeah. And so, um, and that's a feeling I, the, those of us who, who love to cook, I think it's, it can be unhealthy. It can be healthy, but like, that's just a feeling we love is, is that feeling. And, um, so for me, it's all entangled in, in these mm-hmm. ideas of, of joy and abundance and expansiveness is, is kind of, the feeling of, of freedom I have in the kitchen, you know, and, and, and the joy that I get when people love what I cook and that, uh, you know, I, I use all local produce here in Puerto Rico, which is not always the most accessible, you know, like Mm -hmm. organic, um, fresh local produce. And so when I get to like feed my friends, you know, summer squash in like this carpaccio that I do, and they're like, Oh, I've never had squash like this. Or I, you know, I, I haven't, uh, had this goat cheese from this farm. And so like that does, that gives me a lot of, of joy, you know, is, is to just highlight vegetables to highlight new things. You know, when someone wants to take a piece of cake home to have it with breakfast the next day, like that makes me really happy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, yeah, I just love the sharing stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, preaching to the choir. Of course. (laughs) And I really, this, this kind of mind body thing. Yeah. I don't know. I, I really resonate with that. And, you know, I shared with you when we last spoke, you know, I've been working at a vegetable farm and the physicality of the work is something that I'm just learning over the last like six months. I mean, I am so much less anxious. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that might have to do with also being as far away from food media as I've been (laughs) Um, but being physically tired at the end of the day, what it's done for my mental health has yeah. been really amazing. And as something, you know, my season is actually ending in a few weeks and I'm scared. <laughs> I'm yeah. scared to lose that. And I've been thinking a lot about how to hold on to that. And for me, a lot of that has to do with being in a kitchen. So yeah. all of that to say, like, I'm just sitting here nodding as you're talking, <laughs> nodding a lot. And I guess I'm curious. I feel like you've probably just answered this and this is just a kind of a selfish question (laughs) just to maybe feel less alone, but you know, you really beautifully described how you feel when you're in your kitchen. And I would love to know, how do you feel in your body again when you're writing? (laughs) Oof. 
Yeah. Let, I feel less. I mean, you know, I do love writing. I don't relate to people who are like, oh, writing is so hard. Um, Writing a book is really hard because it's really hard to sustain a train of thought over, you know, 60 to 80,000 words. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's really difficult. And so that's more of a physical process. I would think I'd say of like, you know, the other day, last week, I needed my fiance to, he brought Tiger Bomb to the dog park because <laughs> um, I was like, my shoulders I, are in mm. such agony because mm. I had spent like hours hunched over like 15 cookbooks trying to figure out a chronology of like how things change from the seventies to the nineties in terms of like alternative proteins. And so like, and so that when I get really physical with the book project, I, I enjoy it a lot more. I think I need to like print stuff out and like, just really Mm. look at it in a way that I haven't yet, but I, I do love it. I do enjoy, especially because I do write by hand still a lot. I, um, so it is still at times a physical thing. Like I take all of my notes by hand. Mm -hmm. I I think by hand and then I, I transfer that into, into the word, into Scrivener, like, and, and make it, judge it up and make it nice. And so, um, I, I still is, is physical for me to write at sometimes. Um, but when I'm at my computer a lot, I'm really unhappy. That's just mm-hmm. the truth. Like I just, um, and so that's why I, I really try to, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be in control of my time for the most part. And so I do try to have boundaries with how much I sit at the computer, which also makes me work faster, I guess. <laughs> but like, mm-hmm. you know, I need to do other things in order to find the the stillness to sit at the computer um whether it's to write or it's to do administrative tasks and things like um I I try to like be at my computer maybe four hours a day ideally and then the rest of the time doing something else even if it's I'm working on something that I'm going to eventually write down um Mm -hmm. but if I'm in the books and I'm in my notebook and like I just feel a lot differently about it than when I'm on the computer like and that's also been a struggle for me living in San Juan because I don't have a there's no public library here and Mm -hmm. um also it's been a pandemic so there's been no public library everywhere for the most part so like in New York I used to go to the reading room at the New York Public Library at Bryant Park which is the most Mm -hmm. gorgeous freaking room in the Mm -hmm. whole world and I loved it so much because it was it was so egalitarian. Like it could be everybody, like their students. And it's, I just love that room. And I love that. Like everyone is like working on a project and maybe, you know, we, we all seem a bit, you know, nutty to the outside world, but we're all sitting there and doing our little, our little work. And so, um, I just love that. And so I, uh, yeah, but I, for the last couple of years, I've just been in, in my house and, and so much has been in PDF and that sort of thing. And like, um, you know, and just having more of a physical process and, and being somewhere else, you know, and I've missed that a lot. So it's been, it's been a challenge and I've had to find new ways of, of working, but you know, it works. I I figured it out. Yeah. I love hearing about how physical your process is and how much you're able to do without the computer. And it kind of, it (laughs) sounds a little bit to me, like the way you described how you bake, like you're gathering ingredients, you know, yeah, your research and stuff very intentionally. You're doing as much with your kind of hands literally as possible. And then, you know, you wait to do the final kind of process. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's funny because I never thought of it that way, but as I'm explaining it, I'm like, oh, it is all the same thing. Like I literally. (laughs) Yeah. So interesting. 
King Arthur Baking is about so much more than the best baking ingredients. They're also the leading resource for baking inspiration and education for bakers of all levels. David Tamarkin, King Arthur's editorial director, and I recently chatted to learn more. King Arthur is a company that's centered on one thing. It's all about sharing the joy of baking. That is our mission. Every year we do everything we can to get people baking and, and doing so successfully. So a great example is that we do an annual recipe of the year. We're going to our ninth year Rallying Bakers Run single, excellent, I would even say iconic recipe that's accessible to bakers of all levels and really, we hope, sets the gender for baking in 2022. So what's the recipe of the year going to be in 2022? I can't tell you. <gasps> what? <laughs> <laughs> but I will tell you a little bit later uh, at the end of this series uh, in December. In fact, you're going to be one of the first people to hear about it. So December oh 30th, it's, I think, okay. one of the podcast Okay, so you'll come back and tell me more, you promise? I promise. What am I supposed to do until then? Great point, Julia. Great point. Uh, Luckily, we have other recipes of the year. This year's recipe of the year is perfectly pillowy cinnamon rolls. Epic recipe, so good. Very good for the holidays. You can do last year's crispy cheesy pan pizza. Mind-blowing recipe. And you know what? What I'm going to do until then is I'm going to make the classic birthday cake, which I actually have not done. Even if it's not your birthday, you can still make it. Oh, my my birthday's not until March, so yeah. (laughs) I have made the crispy cheesy pan pizza. It is so good. I can definitely vouch for it. It's such a crowd pleaser. So, David, where can everyone find all of these recipes? You can find all of the recipes of the year in one place, all nine recipes, uh, at kingarthurbaking.com slash roti, which is R-O-T-Y. I just wanted to talk a little bit more just about like logistics and maybe because so much of my background is in cookbooks and kind of service journalism. I'm always like, what are the takeaways? (laughs) There have been so many, I think, important, like emotional, like life takeaways to this conversation. But I also just wanted to talk about, um, yeah, some logistics. Like, are there, are there, like, if someone listens to this and they're like, wow, I never thought about, you know, vegan baking, or I never just thought about baking, thinking about like, maybe you don't need an egg, (laughs) whatever your diet is like that kind of thing. Someone who is sort of new to this, like, are there any particular books or even articles or websites that you would point them to? Sure. I think, well, the ppk.com is a really great resource for vegan recipes. If you're just starting to look at this and think about it, um, and that's by Issa Chandra Moskowitz, who mm-hmm. is also the author of like all the important vegan cookbooks, like Veganomicon, um, Vegan with a Vengeance. Vegan with a Vengeance was actually the first vegan cookbook I ever had, I think, because my mom bought it for me for Christmas, trying to be supportive. Um, though she thought I'd eventually, she thought I'd eventually get over it. Um, and just a phase (laughs) (laughs) and, um, for people who want to get into sweets, I think the Legusta's luscious book, sweet and salty is fabulous. I know, you know, Legusta. And Mm -hmm. then also it's not a vegan cookbook per se, but Fancy Desserts by Brooks Headley, mm-hmm. I think, is really good for thinking differently about desserts. And and I think, it, you know, it'll get minds thinking about different ways of approaching how to, how to make a dessert. There is one, there is a silken chocolate pudding, silken tofu chocolate pudding pie in it, which is like a very old school vegan thing. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so I, I think those are three uh, places. Yeah, I think awesome. for me, that's my holy trinity of like yeah. vegan stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. And yeah, I love Augusta's books. So of much. course. It's yeah. So good. How do you approach balancing ethics mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to ingredients and accessibility? Well, I'm writing recipes for my paid subscribers generally. So Mm -hmm. I'm not deeply, frankly, you know, trying to be accessible. I also see recipes and I I have, I I talked about this and also um, love this from uh, Crystal Mack, which Mm -hmm. is that in her Patreon, she'll write recipes that are so specific to her Baltimore like Maryland area, like Mm -hmm. ingredients that are very seasonal, very specific to that area. And I love that hyper-specificity. And I think that this also goes along with vegan baking in terms of like, you don't need to maybe do things exactly the way you're seeing it, but if you can think differently about what's around you and what you could use, uh, I think that's useful. And I think that Crystal really drove home for me the, the significance of hyper specificity, hyper locality in recipes and, and how that can make people look at their own surroundings, their own Mm -hmm. locality and seasonality and, and, and try and adapt and, and see what would work for them. Um, instead of always trying to write a recipe for everybody, because when you try to write a recipe for everybody, it's, it's, it's never, you know, it's still not going to be for everybody. Some of it is going to be inaccessible to someone. Some of it is not going to, you know, be available at their store. Like it's just, that's what it is. And so I, I think that thinking of recipes always as just a, a place of inspiration and a guidepost instead of like the letter of law, you know, carved into stone is, is really useful. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I especially learned this obviously moving to San Juan where like my seasons are totally different. And so I'm starting to get newsletters from like food sections and food magazines where it's like, it's soup season. And I'm like, no, it is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not eating any damn soup right now. And so, um, I try and, I try and honor obviously like a simplicity of ingredients. I think the, the fewer ingredients, especially in, in vegan stuff, the better. I think I always, there's always one flavor I want to highlight and I don't try, I try not to overwhelm that one flavor that I, that's my personal baking thing is, is I, I want one thing to shine against a backdrop Mm. of everything else. And so whatever Mm. is in service to that. And so, um, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think I do very simple recipes, but at the same time, yeah, I want to write recipes as a way of inspiring people to look at what is around them rather than to try and, you know, mimic, yeah. um, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And <laughs> I really appreciate how you answered, like, not the most thought out questions. <laughs> also, like, what is accessibility? Like, what does right. that mean? To whom? Like, and I feel like what you just keep kind of alluding to and what I'm getting out of this conversation. I mean, many things, but one is just the idea of really having a clarity of just whether it's like thought or flavor. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe one of the most accessible things for lots of people, you know, is really understanding whatever that means to you Mm -hmm. than finding it nearby. Right. Right. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. No. And I mean, I use Goya coconut milk too. I, I'm not a good, perfect person. It's the, because 
I live in old San Juan and that's what we have at the supermarket. Yeah. And so like, you know, I, I definitely understand things about, you know, just doing the best with what you have, mm -hmm. um, versus like always trying to be perfect. Cause you can't always, you can't yeah, always do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, I would love to turn your question that you ask everyone <laughs> back onto you. And I feel like you're just kind of warming up for it there. And you always ask everyone, you know, is cooking for you a political act? Right. It's such a, you know, wonderful <laughs> and important question. And I guess for you, I will just change it to is baking for you a political act? 100%. Because mm -hmm. I think, as, as I was saying before, I think that when you wake up and you make personal choices that are in line with the world as you would like it to be rather than mm. necessarily what it is. Um, you are, you are taking, <laughs> use a really unvegan analogy, but you're taking your, your role as a political subject, which frankly we all are uh, by the horns, you know, and you're saying I have, <laughs> I, I can make choices that, you know, maybe they don't reflect the world as, as it is, but they reflect the world as I want it to be. And mm. I'm going to, and, and this goes back to how I started baking in the first place. It's, it's realizing that you do have the power, not just to change your own life, but to make, make choices in the world that reflect your, your politics, your ethos and your, your hopes and dreams for, for the planet. Um, and, and so that's what I, when I, and, and then feed it to other people too, mm -hmm. which, which in turn changes, hopefully their perception of, of what some, what the world is, you know, I, I think, uh, <laughs> I could quote the Candyman song from Willy Wonka. I like, I, but I feel, I feel like. <laughs> I think that if you go listen to that song, like you, who can take a sunrise, sprinkle it with dew, but you know, like that's I, and I of course take sweets very seriously, but I do think that there is so much power in making people happy and smile and mm -hmm. then giving people, um, yeah, just a new way of, of thinking about, about what that means, you know, that it doesn't necessarily mean animal products. It doesn't necessarily mean refined, you know, white sugar. It, it can mean other things. It can mean many things. Yeah. Oh, what a like amazing note to end on. And again, <laughs> like the expansiveness, but I also feel like I have to ask you just lastly, lastly, the question I ask everyone, sure. <laughs> um, which I just always ask that you just don't overthink it. And first thing that comes to mind, what was your favorite thing to eat when you were a kid? Chinese food. <laughs> Any specific order or just the, the whole general well, umbrella? When I was a kid, it was sesame chicken and I would eat the wrapper of the fried pork dumplings. Mm -hmm. I didn't, for whatever reason, I didn't eat the inside for a long time. <laughs> But I loved the wrap, fried wrapper dipped in the sauce. That was like heaven to me. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. Um, I, I feel like that's going to turn into a new baked good. <laughs> Just the wrapper. Yeah. <laughs> Just someone else would eat it? Or? Someone else would eat it. I just put it back in the thing. Yeah. Like my dad will eat anything. So I'm sure yeah. my dad ate it. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was really great. And thanks for bringing, you know, this essay just to, you know, life a little bit with me. I think it's, it's a really valuable part of, 
you know, these conversations I'm having with different bakers and it definitely opens my eyes a little wider. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to King Arthur Baking for supporting this episode. Head to kingarthurbaking.com for more. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you haven't already, please remember to rate and review the show and head to juliatertian.com for more about the show and my work. Until next time, take care.